We're going to be in Revelation 16 and 18, but before we do that, I want to go back and remind you of the connection that we're having in this time frame of the end of the tribulation prior to his coming again. The whole point that we're doing this is what he promised to Israel and Daniel. So don't lose sight of the perspective of Israel and their, what God's doing with Israel as he brings us close to the end of the tribulation. So if you would, in Daniel chapter 9, remember in Daniel chapter 9 about the promise to Daniel about the prophetic 70 weeks of years or 77s of years that was prophesied upon the nation of Israel. And so in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people, your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So everything that has been promised for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Everything has been promised through the prophets. Everything was promised through the Davidic covenant about a kingdom and a king that's going to be a, a descendant of David. All the things that were promised about securing salvation through the promised Messiah and his death on the cross and everything that was going to be true for Israel as they enter into a promised kingdom age with a promised Messiah and a promised uh, peace and prosperity time when all Israel will be saved. That's what we're leading up to in these 70 weeks. And now we're down to the very end of the last week. And so these things have to be accomplished that haven't been accomplished. Now what has been accomplished? The Messiah did come, and he presented himself as their king, and they rejected him. He did die, and he did die for their sins and made provision for that. So that part has been done. But now the finality of his coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords is about to take place. And so we're bringing it in to this time frame that is going to usher in this kingdom age and a fulfillment of all the promises to Israel. So keep in mind, as we're getting close to the end of the tribulation time, we're getting close to the fulfillment for what was promised to the people of Israel. Now, if you go to chapter 12 in Daniel... When he's talking about this Antichrist, this king or this prince that's to come, and this time of, of Jacob's trouble, he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. And he's talking specifically about Israel's distress. And the specific aspect of Israel's distress is the last half of the tribulation when Israel is going to suffer the greatest time of distress that Israel has ever had. The Holocaust was bad, uh, 70 AD was really bad, other times in history has been bad, but during the second half of the tribulation, especially right at the end, you're going to have two-thirds of the nation are going to be killed at the hands of the Antichrist, and it's going to be really bad. And this is for a reason, because he says in there in, um, in, in verse 6 of Daniel 12, he says, and one, the angel said to the man dressed in linen, 
or Daniel said to the, man, the angel dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Now we know that's the same correlation of time as is found in Revelation 13, when it says that, that the, or 12, when the, the devil is cast down to earth, he has a short time, and he's going to try to destroy God's people, uh, God's people Israel. And he, they, uh, a remnant of those have left is, uh, Jerusalem and fled into the wilderness for a time, times, and half a time. And then in chapter 13, this Antichrist, this beast that comes up out of the sea, who is brought back to life from the wound of the sword, he is given the authority to act for 42 months, which is three and a half years, until something happens. So in chapter 12 of Daniel, chapter verse 7, he says, again, he, he swore that by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the people. Now what that means is until these tribulation judgments, until this time of distress brings about the reality upon the remnant of Israel that they have got to repent and cry out for their Messiah, then it will be brought to an end. So right at the end of the tribulation, this pressure and all of the events that took place in the tribulation to give credence to the reality that Jesus is their Messiah, the remnant, the righteous remnant at the end of the tribulation will cry out. Now next week we'll talk about the regeneration of Israel as a nation and the coming of Christ. Because if you go back to Matthew chapter 23 and Luke chapter 21, we have the two untils that this age will continue until in chapter 23 of Matthew when he has indicted the, the nation, indicted the uh, the Pharisees and the leaders of the nation and then indicted the nation. And at the end of Matthew 23, after this indictment, the indictment is finished in verses 33 uh, through 36. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, and that upon you may fall the guilt of the of the of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Bacariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now, he's talking about this generation of scribes and Pharisees, but then he is going to talk about the final judgment. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are, are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you that from now on you will not see me until. And the until is until you repent and cry out that Jesus is Lord. So if you go back to understanding Romans 10 through 13, uh, 10 through, yeah, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Chapter 10, he talks about the salvation of Israel as a nation. And until they do what the Gentiles did and believe in, by faith in Jesus Christ and call upon the name of the Lord, they will not be saved. And here is what he's talking about. Until you say Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, 
is the coming Lord and Messiah. Until you acknowledge him and call upon him, he's not coming again. So that until is going to happen. As we get into next week, they're going to cry out and the Lord's going to come back. So Revelation 19, when you see the King of Kings coming in Matthew 24, when you at the tribulation of those days and you see the sign in heaven and you see the coming king, it's because Israel has repented and cried out for the Lord. Okay? The other until is found in Luke chapter 21 when he's talking about the dispersion after uh, 70 AD, the destruction of Israel. Um, that passage in, in Luke 21 is dealing with the 70 AD destruction. He says, they will fall by the edge of the, in verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now the time of the Gentiles corresponds with the time of Israel's trouble. The time of the Gentiles started in uh, 587 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Babylon became the first of the four ruling nations that were going to trod down Israel. And the Antichrist will be the last ruler of the times of the Gentiles. And he is given the, the last 42 months of this age to rule on the earth as the last of the Gentile ruling nations. And he is the last of the Gentile kings. And he will give, be given 42 months and then it will come to an end. And we're at the very end of the tribulation, which is the last seven years of the 70 weeks of Daniel, and it's the last seven years of the Gentile rule. So they're corresponding together. And now, as we have gone through the, uh, last week, the first five bold judgments, these bold judgments occur right up toward the end of the tribulation. And now we're in chapter 16 of Revelation looking at the sixth bold judgment. And the sixth bold judgment is very key because it ties together the timing of the ending of the, of the Gentile rule and the repentance and regeneration of Israel. Any questions? Okay, so we're in chapter 16 of Revelation in, 12, in verse 12. And if y'all will bear with me, I hope my voice will hold out the whole time. Chapter 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world, and to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. Down in verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har Magadan. Okay, so the sixth bowl is poured out. Now, the sixth bowl is a, a compelling by the unholy trinity. You, know, you remember the unholy trinity? It is the dragon, who is Satan, who has been cast down to earth. And he has, he has brought back to life this beast that was killed, which is the last ruler of the times of Gentiles. He is the prince that signed the covenant with Israel for seven years. He is the one that's been given authority to rule for the last 42 months. He is typifying the Christ or the second person of the Trinity that Satan's trying to portray. He is the Antichrist. And then in chapter 13 of Revelation, we were introduced to the 
third, the second, the second beast that came up out of the earth, which was identified as the false prophet, who is typifying an anti-Holy Spirit. So you have the unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And Satan is accomplishing what he has always wanted to accomplish. He's trying to be like God. In this last 42 months, he is ruling over the earth as the unholy trinity. And this last bold judgment is where the authority that he has to rule over the last uh, 42 months, at the very end of this time, he is compelling by demonic activity all the kings, now, uh, all the armies of the kings. Now, we know what's in place politically. You have the Antichrist is dictator of the world. He had 10 kings that were ruling the world before he took over in the midpoint of the tribulation. And the rest of those kings of the earth submitted their political power and will to him. So you have 10 dominant nations that are controlling the earth, and then you have the Antichrist that's controlling the 10 dominant nations. That doesn't mean there's not other groups of people and other groups of nations that are not willingly submitting to this, this Antichrist dominion, but he has the power, and so he is enforcing his power. So in this bold judgment... The unholy trinity sends out demonic forces to the kings of the earth, the rulers of the other armies of the ten kingdoms that are under the power and control of the Antichrist to compel them all to come to northern Israel. To all the armies, and when it talks about the, 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 the kings of the east, um, he's not talking about the trumpet judgment the sixth trumpet judgment where you have an army of 200 million demons. A lot of people misunderstand the chronology of Revelation and they try to combine the 200 million with the kings of the east saying this is a Chinese army. And they get completely mixed because there's two different judgments, two different time frames. They have nothing to do with each other. The trumpet judgment is not, had nothing to do with the bowl judgment. And the kings of the east are not from China. They're from Mesopotamia east of Palestine or east of Israel. So it's talking about drying up the river Euphrates so that the armies that are located in Babylon and beyond can come easily march into northern Israel. That's the whole point of this. So the river Euphrates is dried up to make it easier for all of the, the armies and the materials of the armies to travel from the eastern part of the Middle East to Israel. Now, the place that they're gathering is the Valley of Jezreel. Now, Nick's been there a bunch of times, and he can visualize it and see it. I can't. But there's a huge valley between Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee on the western side of Israel. And on the western side of that valley, there is a town and a, a mountain called Megiddo, and it overlooks the, the Valley of Jezreel. And I, I guess there's a passageway or a pass from uh, Megiddo into that valley where, um, anyway, so it's a place of a large valley where they're going to all gather together. And this is, this is called Armageddon. Now, Armageddon is not necessarily the place of the battle. It is the place of the gathering of the armies. So when people get confused, they say, whoa, is it time for Armageddon? Well, if they're meaning, is it time for God to gather all the armies of the Antichrist together? Yes, it's time for that at this point in time, at the end of the tribulation, but it is not the actual place of the battle. Any questions about this sixth bowl 
judgment or six bowl preparation for judgment, which is called the place of Megiddo, Armageddon. Does, does Satan know the end, end game? Does he... Is he aware of what his future? Satan is so prideful that he knows the end is time, his, his, short, his time is short. He knows that Christ is coming again. He still believes he can overthrow because of his pride. He still believes he has a chance. And his really only chance he's got is to, is to wipe out Israel. Because all the promises of the coming of Christ, all the promises of everything are bound to Israel. So if he can wipe out the people of Israel, he feels he feel like he's got a chance to win. And so that's his goal, is to wipe out the people of Israel. Okay, so they've gathered the armies together to go against Israel. Question? Yeah, you went over, I didn't go over verse 15, and talked about the coming of the kingdom. Okay, verse 15 is a parenthetical verse. It, in fact, it probably goes back to the, to, the, to the message to the churches. When all this stuff is being portrayed, John pauses and reflects and says, remember what I've told you before. And so when it talks about his coming is like a thief, he's talking about uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It's talking about prior to the beginning of all this tribulation is a promise uh, that the church will be free or will not be a part of this. And I think it's a reminder to the churches of what he's already told them. You're not going to be a part of this, and it's a parenthetical where he says in verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. That, I think, has nothing to do with this chronological passage in 16. It has to do with just a, a mental reflection back to what he's told the church earlier about they're not being a part of this judgment that is to come, and a reminder to uh, stay awake and stay alert. Because that's what he said in 1 Thessalonians 5. That's what he said in Luke chapter 21. To be prepared and ready for the day that's coming upon the whole world. To test the whole world. And I think this is just a parenthetical passage there. On that. Yes. So we heard about the drying of the Euphrates today. Is that any correlation? No. Because it would have to be at least seven years, almost seven years from now for it to have any correlation on this particular judgment of the armies coming together. Okay. But I mean, again, when you're looking at current events, you have to be careful that you don't try to change Scripture to fit current events. Uh, the, the Scripture is, is, is what it is, and God's timing will bring about these particular things. Okay. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the the program of the battle that's coming. But I want to go ahead and uh, introduce the seventh bowl because there's some confusion in that, and I'm going to get to Gary's question about Zechariah during this time because it, it fits in at this time. So I haven't completely forgot you on that. It just comes in now at the time of the seventh bowl. Okay, it says, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake it was, and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of, the fierce, of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away 
and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. <coughs> okay, so the seventh bowl is the finality. It's the last bowl. It's the last aspect of the wrath of God being poured out. It occurs just prior to the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. But to understand how all this fits in the last few, few uh, weeks, months of the, of the tribulation time, go to Zechariah chapter 12. And we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 12 through 14. And as you, look, as you look at Old Testament prophecies, you have to be aware that the majority of Old Testament prophecies do not have a chronological sequence of events. They go here, and then they skip, and they come back, and they go back and forth. So you have to be careful with that, that you don't try to uh, read into a chronology when it is not there. Now, why did Satan bring all of the armies of the world to Israel? Right, it's to bring about the final destruction of Israel and therefore Israel's Messiah. That's the point of his bringing his armies to Israel is to come against the Jews. Now, as we look at Israel during this time, I want you to remind you of the different aspects when we talk about Israel. Okay. Now, the first one is that at the beginning of the tribulation, there were 144,000 Jews that were sealed. Remember? 144,000 Jews that were sealed and they were grafted in whereas the Gentile church was cut off. Remember that in Romans chapter 11. When Israel will be cut off temporarily until the time the, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Now, the fullness of the Gentiles is not the time of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles is talking about the Gentile church. The Gentile church is predominantly Gentile, but it includes also born-again Jews. Like the apostles were Jews, but they're part of the Gentile church. So the church was grafted into the place of God's witnesses of His eternal salvation on the earth. So the Jews had that responsibility until they rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, and then they were cut off, and the church was grafted in. And Romans chapter 11 says that Israel will be cut off until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then the Jews will be grafted back in. To do what? To be His witnesses on earth. Okay? So when the church is cut off, that means when the true church is raptured out, and Christendom that's left behind apostatizes and joins the one world religious system that rejects the name of Jesus, rejects the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, and turns from a doctrine of Christianity or doctrine of Christ to a doctrine of humanism or one world religionism, then that Christendom will apostatize and will be cut off. And the 144,000 Jews will be grafted in. So these 144,000 that are grafted in at the very beginning of the tribulation are sealed by God to be His witnesses on the earth during the seven years. And they're also the first fruits of the remnant. That means they will go into the, they will go into the, to the millennial kingdom in their physical bodies with the righteous remnant that is saved at the end. Okay? 
So you had the 144,000. Now, in Revelation, hold your place in Zechariah. Let's go back to Revelation real quick. Revelation chapter 7. When it's talking about those that are going to be martyred during the tribulation, first half by the religious system, the, the, the mystery Babylon, the harlot religion, and the second half by the Antichrist and his false prophet as they cut the heads off of those that won't bow down and worship him. In chapter 7, you have a description of the martyrdom of, of those who become believers during the tribulation and are killed during the tribulation. And it says in verse 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which, in, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, and all the angels standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on them. And so these are the ones that came out of great tribulation. Now, it says, From every nation which I think includes Israel. So during the tribulation, there will be individual Jews that will be saved by the preaching of the 144,000 that will also be martyred along with the other Gentile saints that are saved during tribulation. So that will be a segment of Jewish population that will be martyred because of their faith in Christ. These are not the ones that are going to live to the end, and these are not part of the 144,000. Now, if we, we do know that at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, when they entered into the covenant with the Antichrist, it says the many entered into a covenant with the Antichrist. Well, the many would be the apostate or agnostic Jews that do not believe in God, and they're willing to go along with the Antichrist. And most of these agnostic Jews will also take the mark of the beast. Do you understand that? So at the midpoint of the tribulation, when the mark of the beast is imposed, the majority in Israel that are agnostic Jews, that are part of the two-thirds that are going to be killed, many of them will take the mark of the beast and go along with the program of Satan and the Antichrist. Now the ones, if you remember, when Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation... He's talking to people of Israel. He's talking to the people especially that live in Jerusalem. He said, when you see the abomination, get out. And we know that in, in Revelation 13, when Satan was cast down to the earth, that for a time, times and half a time, a remnant of Israel fled to the wilderness. And so this remnant of Israel are the ones that are not believers in Jesus Christ, but they're not willing to take the mark of the beast. Because we know if you take the mark of the beast, you can't be saved. Right? You're not part of the elect of God if you take the mark of the beast. And this righteous remnant is part of the elect of God. They're going to survive the tribulation and they're going to all be saved to go into the millennial kingdom. So there's going to be Jews that are part of the righteous remnant that are not saved yet, but they have fled into the wilderness or they're scattered in Israel, around the world, hiding and not willing to take part in the, the uh, program of the Antichrist, and yet they're not been saved yet because they haven't cried out for the name of the Lord. Huh? These are, well, we're just talking about the Jews. Gentiles will be the same way. I mean, there'll be Gentiles that'll be saved, that will be martyred, and there will be Gentiles that will be 
that will be saved and will survive until the end, and they will be the sheep versus the goats in the Matthew 25 judgment. Okay, so in Zechariah, chapters 12 through 14, you have different aspects of Israel being brought to a time of judgment and then brought into the Messianic kingdom. And so you'll have different aspects in these two passages. Now in, in chapter 12 and in chapter 14, let's go to chapter 14 first. In chapter 14, verses 1 through uh, 5, it says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, and I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravaged, and the half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in, is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just like you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So here you have a description of another earthquake. Now remember in the seventh bowl judgment, a earthquake, the greatest earthquake that's ever been upon the earth occurred in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was split into three parts. That was prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that that earthquake is what's talked about in verse 5 when it says, and you will flee by the valley of my mountains. I think at the time of that great earthquake in the last bold judgment, prior to the coming of Christ, you will have an avenue for the Jews to flee from the destruction of the earthquake that happens with the seventh bowl judgment. I believe that the earthquake in verse 4, when his feet stands on the mountain, is after the Lord comes back to the earth, after he destroys the army of the Antichrist from Basra all the way to Jerusalem, then he ascends to the Mount of Olives and stands on the mountain, and then that mountain of olives will be split into two, and there will be a valley from east to west, whereas the water from the new throne of Jerusalem, the throne of God in Jerusalem, water will flow out of the throne and will flow both east and west, one into the Dead Sea, which will become living, and one into the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? So you have to be careful as you read these passages. I believe in verse 5, when he talks about the Jews fleeing from the earthquake, he's talking about fleeing from the earthquake where it splits the city into three parts in Revelation 16. And then I think the, the earthquake that splits the, splits the Mount of Olives is when Christ stands on the mountain as the victorious King of Kings. Okay? Now, in chapter 12, again, it talks about this battle that they, the armies of the world come to the northern Jezreel and then they besiege the city of Jerusalem and try to wipe out Israel. So in chapter 12, you have a description of that battle also in verses 1 and 2, or 1 through, uh, probably 1 through 6. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. 
It says, the burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. And that day declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, a strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day I will make the clans of Judah like fire pot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves, so they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding peoples while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites. Okay, so here, while the Antichrist thinks he's got an easy prey, he's got all of his armies, they're coming against Jerusalem, and they do overthrow Jerusalem, and they take half the people captive or whatever. But in the midst of this fight, God empowers the people of Israel in a miraculous way, and it's not easy. All of a sudden, the people of Israel become like David's, and they all rise up and they fight. And, and, and it's not an easy fight. And so it be, they become a burdensome uh, stone to these people that are trying to destroy them. In other words, Antichrist and Satan are trying to wipe out the Jews, and all of a sudden God empowers them to be stronger than they expected. And this is just prior to Christ coming back. So in the meantime, the final, the final breaking of the will of the people is when Jerusalem is overtaken and trodden down one more time. And then the remnant of Israel will cry out and then they will be saved. Now this passage here in, in Zechariah uh, 12 and 14, along with um, what is happening uh, is reminis, uh, is similar to what is, is, is passages in the Old Testament. First, in, in Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, it speaks of this occurrence. Verse 1 of John, uh, Psalm 2, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. He, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and they shall, thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. So here he is talking about this time frame of the second coming of Christ. It's the same thing that Joel talked about in Joel chapter 3, right before the coming of the time of Israel's uh, redemption and Israel's blessing. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 3 of Joel, verse 9, it says, Proclaim this among the nations, prepare war, rouse the mighty men, let all the soldiers draw near and let them come up. 
Beat their plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, thy mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will, I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So here he's talking about gathering all the armies. Now, you know in, in Revelation, we talked about it in Revelation 14, where the angels were told to, to put their pruning hooks in and, and reap. And we, we saw the outcome, which we'll talk about at the second coming of Christ when he comes and destroys the armies. But here he has them gathered in Israel, and the last battle against Jerusalem has they overtake Jerusalem, but that sets the stage for the, the remnant to cry out for the Lord, and then he's going to come back and wipe them out. But there's one other thing we've got to talk about in Revelation 16. Before we talk about Israel's repentance and the coming of Christ to save Israel and destroy the armies, Revelation 16, verse 19 this, we talked about the great city, that's Jerusalem, was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. The Antichrist, whose capital city is Babylon, has brought all of his armies to Israel. And while he does that, God sends destruction upon his capital city, Babylon. And this is found in many passages in the Old Testament. I mean, you could go to, to various passages in the Old Testament that talks about this coming destruction. I mean, it's all through Isaiah and Jeremiah about the coming destruction of Babylon. For instance, in, in, in Jeremiah 50, verse 39 and 40, it says, Therefore the desert creatures will live, among, will live there along with the jackals. The ostriches will also live in it. And it will never again be inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares the Lord. No man will live there, nor will any son of man reside there, speaking of Babylon. And then in Jeremiah 51, verses 54 and 58, again, he continues with this whole, this whole passage is dealing with the last days and the destruction of Babylon. In verse 54 of Jeremiah 31, it says, The sound of an outcry from Babylon and of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For the Lord is going to destroy Babylon. He will make her, her loud noise vanish from her, and their waves will roar like many waters. The tumult of their voices sounds forth. For the destroyer is coming against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men will be captured. Their bows will be shattered. For the Lord is a God of recompense. He will fully repay. And, he, and I will make her princes and her wise men drunk, and her governors and her, her prefects and her mighty men they may sleep in a perpetual sleep and not wake up, declares a king whose name is the Lord of hosts. So here you have a declaration of the destruction of the city of Babylon, which is recorded in Revelation chapter 18. Now in Revelation 17, remember, Revelation 17 deals with the false religious system that is imposed at the beginning of the tribulation. So the false religious system that is working in connection with the Antichrist to control the populations of the world and to cause all the people of the world to follow and fall in line with the program of the Antichrist and the Ten Kings. And they will impose a very strict religious system upon all the peoples 
And if you do not go along with their system or you name the name of Christ during this time, then you will be martyred by this false religious system. Now, at the midpoint, the whole system changes. You remember when the Antichrist and the false prophet come into power at the midpoint, then the whole world begins to worship the Antichrist. And they're no longer part of the religious system of the world. They are, all have to worship the Antichrist. That's when the Antichrist does away with the Jewish system of, of, of religion in, Jer in Jerusalem, and he does away with the world religious system. And he, puts, he brings an end to the, the religious system of Babylon and that, is, that, is, that is given to us in chapter 17. And the ten kings are part of that. In verse 14 of chapter 17, it says, the, well, the ten kings, they have one purpose in verse 13, and they give their power to, to the beast. And these will wage war against the Lamb. The Lamb will over, overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen faithful. And then He says in verse 15, And He said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are the peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose." So religious Babylon is destroyed sometime after the middle of the tribulation completely. And then in chapter 18, we have the economic and political system of Babylon, which is anti-God and a, a system that has been put in by Satan and the Antichrist. And the capital city and his dominion of the world is destroyed. So in chapter 18, you have this, this rendering of the destruction of Babylon, which occurs at the same time of the gathering of the armies in, in, at, at Megiddo, at the same time that he has he is, uh, took his armies to invade Israel. Then, and it's probably a combination of Gentile-believing peoples that come against it, rise up, and destroy his capital city, along with supernatural judgments from God that come about. So in chapter 18, you have this depiction of the, the Babylon city destroyed. Verse 1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins, that you may not receive of her plagues. Now that is an admonition to any believers that may be in the city of Babylon to get out, just like God told the believers in Jerusalem to get out before 70 A.D., because the city is going to be completely destroyed. And then it says, Her sins are piled up as high as heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid and give her, her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much to her. To the decree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day... Her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. So in one day, the city of Babylon, the capital city of, of the Antichrist, the capital city of the world, the economic center of the world at that time 
will come to an end. It will be completely, utterly destroyed. Is that why they, the Arab people hate Israel being there because they see this kind of coming to fruition and they know what they're in? I think they hate Israel because they hate God and Israel is God's people. They have hated Israel ever since there was an Arab people. It started with Ishmael and and Isaac, it, 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 it kept going with Esau and, and uh, Jacob. It's just a continual hatred of the ones that are, are chosen by God. Yeah, but they must know it says in the Bible, they must know that. You think they read the Bible? No, no they read the book of Mohammed. They, they don't read the Bible. They don't, they don't they're blinded. They, they can't, I mean, it's just no different. They hate God and they hate God's people, and, and that's part of it. No. Well, they didn't. I think you give too much credit for people believing what we say about the to people that aren't aren't hearing the word of God. They don't, they don't hear it. So again, um, it says in verse ten, "Woe, woe, the great city of Babylon, the strong city! For in one hour your judgment has come." And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. I mean, it's completely a complete destruction of the whole economic world system that's been put in place to get rich off of the program of the Antichrist. It says in verse 16, Woe, woe, the great city, who, she who was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger sailor, and as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance. Well, you know what's happened too is in the in the bold judgments, the sea turned to blood, and everything was killed in the sea. So it, it's not like they didn't see it coming that this was all going to come to an end anyway. In verse nineteen, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by wealth. In one hour, she has been laid waste. And so again, this is a a, a pronouncement of judgment, and it comes at the time of the last bold judgment, the last day of the tribulation. So if you turn to Matthew, and this is where we'll, we'll uh, head into for next week, when you turn to Matthew, where Matthew gives the account that Jesus gave uh, for, of the entirety of the, 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 reign, the, the time frame of the tribulation. In verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Men will appear in the sky, and, there, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. So here is the, after the tribulation of those days, is in Revelation 16, when it says that it is done. With the pouring out of the seventh bowl, it is done. Babylon is destroyed in one day. The hailstones come down from heaven, uh, probably at the, about 120-pound hailstones. And it says they come down from heaven. This is a supernatural judgment of God uh, at the last of it. And the people blaspheme God even with the final judgment. And then the earth goes black. The sun goes black. 24, uh, verse 29. And so the earth turns black. And you're going to immediately see the Shekinah glory of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what has to take place between 
the, the armies going against Israel and the destruction of the, uh, the overthrowing of the city for the last time is a call to repentance. And the righteous remnant will cry out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that finishes all of it. So at the same time the bold judgment is being poured out and the hailstones are coming down, the prayers of repentance are going up at the same time. The righteous remnant is crying out for the Lord as the final judgment is falling on the earth. And then the tribulation is over. And now the Lord's coming back. And so this is going to bring to an end the armies. Now we're going to talk about, uh, next week we'll talk about this, the patches that talk about, uh, I'll just give you a precursor. Go back to Zechariah chapter 12. It says in verse 7 of chapter 12, the Lord will save the tents of Judah first. Now, what does the tents of Judah mean? People that are in the wilderness. They're scattered. I mean, they're not living in Jerusalem. In the, city, in the city, they're living in tents. So they're living in the outskirts. So it says he will save the, the, the tents of Judah first in order that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may, be, may not be magnified above Judah. And that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. And then he says on down there uh, in verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadadrim in the plain of Megiddo, and the land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Levi, and so forth. All the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives with them, they're going to cry out for the Lord. In that day, verse 13, chapter 13, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity, and it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. And that's, then you go down into uh, the end of that chapter, and it's, that's when it says, I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver, and test them as gold, as test, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and they, will, they are my people, and they shall call, say, the Lord is my God. And then in verse 9 of Zechariah, it says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one. So here you have, at the very end, when Israel is under the, the, the siege and the battle from the Antichrist, as he's trying to wipe out the Jews, they're going to be a crying out, family by family, for the Lord to come back. And the Lord is going to come back. And he's going to save Israel and defeat the armies of the Antichrist. And then we'll have the preparation for the kingdom.